Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 32, The Changeling. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. I am Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch one episode of Star Trek, then take it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, trying to determine whether it stands the test of time. I am Ken Ray. This week, we're watching The Changeling. I am Ken Ray. You are right, John. We are watching The Changeling. I am Ken Ray. Are you going to do that for the entire episode? I am Ken Ray. (laughs) Probably not. I am Ken Ray. That's my nomad imitation. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) really? I've been working on that all week. What do you think of it? It's it's great. I'm glad to have the old Ken Ray back and not the nomad Ken Ray. (laughs) Should I try different, like, reads every time I do it? I'm (laughs) Ken Ray. You know, I was thinking, John, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I am Ken Ray. I wonder if they tried that with Nomad. They tried different reads for Nomad. (laughs) Hey, I'm Nomad, and my mission is to eradicate anything that's impure out of the galaxy. I'll be making my way to the Alpha Quadrant. Well, he's already in the Alpha Quadrant. I'll be making my way to Earth a little later. They tried out out airline pilots, you're saying. (laughs) They did. You know, But, but But a smooth airline pilot. Quick, dumb aside, is that part of becoming an airline pilot? Oh, you have to learn the voice. You uh, have to go to classes to try to find out how to uh, address 200 people sitting in the back of the plane. Like that? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Might have made Nomad actually much more palatable to people. Well, he could have given you some warning. If he would have been chattier, he could have been like, I'm Nomad and I have the power of 90 photon torpedoes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm going to be wiping out 80% of your shields, so uh, please stand by. (laughs) If you look yeah. to your left, you won't see this coming. Okay. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we're talking about Nomad. We're talking about the uh, the hyper-intelligent space probe that uh, may very well just wipe out not only all living things in the galaxy, but it's going to take the Enterprise crew with it. Yeah, it's actually going to start there and then go the other way. Well, yeah. 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 But, but I mean, we're more concerned about the... Uh, the Enterprise crew at the moment. Well, only for the yeah. time being, but I mean, he is yeah. zeroing in on Soul, so, you know, at some point mm-hmm. it's really, it's going to spell doom for everybody. It might yeah. spell doom for everybody, but we got a long way to go between uh, here and there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the first place we stop is Trivia. Right, and they had a long way to go with this episode. Um, I'm glad to say that on our tradition of posting rare and unusual documents from the Roddenberry Archive, we have one for this episode. We have the original treatment by John Meredith Lucas. Uh, remember that name, by the way, because he's going to come back quite a bit during season two. Um, this was dated March 15th, 1967. If you visit our Facebook page or our website, you'll be able to find the document in its entirety. Um, I'm not going to go through point by point because, again, it would just take too long. But there were a few things that I wanted to point out from this. Um, the probe in the uh, the original treatment was called Mariner 93 and was launched in October 
of 2035. And uh, it's either Kirk or Spock calls it the first interstellar space probe. Uh, so they, they give us a point on the timeline there. Now, this is a treatment, so it's not necessarily canon, but I thought it was interesting that they were that specific. Um, in the treatment, Scotty is dead. Uh, we do have a moment where Scotty gets killed. His resurrection is played a little bit differently. Uh, but more interestingly, it is not Uhura, but it is Yeoman Barbara Watson who is silenced by Nomad. And um, that plays out a little differently. Uh, similar introduction to that, but the, uh, the outcome is a little different. So take a look for that. Um, and there's also a really interesting thread about compassion uh, being a result of our temporary nature. You know, we, we as living beings have compassion and they postulate that that might be because we are living beings that then have a finite lifespan. Uh, nomad is immortal. Therefore, he doesn't need to feel compassion um, because he can just keep going and going and going and his actions really have no consequence for him. Uh, by the way, I'm referring to him as a him and it is a machine. Yeah. I think we'll be referring to him as a him throughout the show. Um, and, and Spock even has a little bit of an emotional outburst. Um, he does this thing again where he's impressed by the technology. Um, and, and they make it a little heavy-handed where it's the devil's bargain, where Spock is so impressed. He wants to learn from Nomad. He wants to learn from his logic. But then the cost, of course, is the total lack of compassion. Um, so ultimately, in that version of the story, we're left with kind of a, uh, a bravo for contradiction and the, the human weakness that is cognitive dissonance. Um, and the ending, which I don't want to give away, also plays out a bit differently from the ending that we're left with. A um, couple other points I'd like to make. Uh, the timeline. Now, we try so hard not to step out of it, and we do that for a lot of good reasons on this show. But this week, we have to mention uh, the extremely close parallel that this story has to the story of Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. It, it's like it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Practically. It, it, I mean, it's not it exactly. Is. There are a couple of things. But I actually went online to try to find out if it was acknowledged that Star Trek the motion picture was based on or a retelling of uh, The Changeling. Right. And I couldn't find anything that indicated that it definitely was. But it definitely was. Yeah, yeah, it is not in the respect that, you know, Never Say Never Again was a remake of Thunderball, mm-hmm. but um, uh, but they are so close. But here's the thing. You look at the totality of Star Trek, and we have a lot of recurring themes, and in particular, Gene Roddenberry liked to use a lot of those recurring themes. You know, time travel, technology, run amok, taking on faith and religion, and in this case, the the computer, the hyper-intelligent computer uh, that lets its power get to its head. Um, yeah, so that's, okay, there's a difference there, though. I mean, that's... No, oh, that's I, I understand. I mean, we're talking about a nearly beat-per-beat... Beat, right. <laughs> you know, re... Uh, uh, kind of restructuring of that right, story right. I mean, versus... Dr. Roger themes, Corby, yeah. Dr. Roger Corby, Landro, Nomad. These yeah. are, you know, recurring themes, but yes, as you say, I mean, you're you're practically watching a short version of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Granted, the the you know, it's not quite as groovy because it's not you know <laughs> seventy nine and um, and uh, and certainly we don't have the effects. And I mean, and there are differences between the two, but yeah, very similar. I, which I guess you know people might pick up once we 
recap the story for them. I could save you a lot of time right now. Star Trek, the motion picture, minus one bald woman, minus one hour and 45 minutes, equals the changeling. Prologue. The Enterprise is headed to a special Federation science team, a small group of a larger group of about 4 billion people. There's just one problem. Lieutenant Uhura can't get in touch with any of them. Spock chimes in and says that's because they're all dead. All 4 billion of them. So that's another problem. No signs of disease, no signs of war, no indications of natural disaster. They are just gone. Suddenly the Enterprise shields snap on. Who knew they could do that by themselves? Something has fired on the Enterprise, sending it reeling as we go to the opening credits. Act 1. That was some attack. One hit equivalent to 90 photon torpedoes. They can take like three more of those, then they're toast. After some trouble, Spock is able to pinpoint the location of the attacker. The Enterprise fires on it, but to no avail. The opponent absorbs the energy of the hit. It fires back, wiping out the shields of the Enterprise. Now Kirk has an idea. Maybe he'll talk to it. Hi, he says. I'm Captain James T. Kirk of the Enterprise. We mean you no harm apparently hoping his enemy will forget that the Enterprise just fired on it. While he's doing that, Spock takes a sensor reading. Whatever is attacking them is tiny, like smaller than a dude. And it would like the Enterprise to repeat its message, please. This is Captain James Kirk of the USS Enterprise. We are on a peaceful mission in this part of the galaxy. We have no hostile intentions. We request identity. After some miscommunication, they get a reply. This is Nomad. My mission is non-hostile. Require communication. Can you come on over? Eh, Kirk says maybe it would be better if they beamed Nomad aboard the Enterprise, an idea to which Nomad agrees. What is it that they beam aboard? Well, if it were 12 years later in a galaxy far, far away, I would say it was Boba Fett's jetpack, lit up, though, and floating a few feet off the ground. Something to ponder as we go to break. Act 2. Spock can't tell what's inside Nomad. It has some sort of screen up. The crew realizes in pretty short order that there are no beings inside it, though. Nomad is a machine. A machine that has seen changes. It has perpetual power now, something it got from the other, about whom we'll hear more later. Kirk and Spock discuss the fact that there was a Nomad probe launched from Earth in the early 2000s, but that was destroyed. Meanwhile, Nomad wants to know the point of origin of the Enterprise. Hey, I know that place, says Nomad. That's where I'm from, too. And you, Kirk, you are the creator. Sorry about trying to sterilize your ship. You are the Kirk, the creator. You programmed me to probe for biological infestations and destroy that which is not perfect. Daddy. Yeah, that's not what Nomad was supposed to be doing. Turns out by the way that he killed the four billion people the Enterprise had been on their way to see, though he left the system in which they lived intact, which is just a taste of Armageddon. Kirk wants to know why Nomad keeps calling him the creator, though Spock waves him off that question. Away from Nomad, Spock says he thinks this really is the Earth probe Nomad, though not as it left Earth. It was badly damaged at some point, though it apparently repaired itself. Now a bit of background. Nomad was built by Jackson Roykirk, a brilliant though erratic scientist who had this idea, build a perfect thinking machine capable of independent logic. And it looks like Nomad is confusing Jim Kirk with Roykirk, which is probably what saved them from destruction. Something happened to it, though. It was originally supposed to seek out new life. Now it's seeking perfect life. And woe be upon any imperfect it happens across. Meanwhile, they've left Nomad with Lieutenant Singh, who's chatting up Nomad, but getting nowhere. Lieutenant Uhura calls for some report, and while she's waiting for Singh's answer, she starts singing. 
This triggers something and Nomad, and off he goes to find her on the bridge. When he does, he wants to know what the singing is about. He doesn't understand it. He probes her mind, wiping it clean in the process. Scotty rushes to her aid, but Nomad repels him across the room. He's dead, Jim. And so is Act 2. Act 3. Scotty's dead and Uhura is now a blank slate. Nomad, it turns out, can fix Scotty, though there's nothing he can do for Uhura. They'll have to start re-educating her themselves. By the way, does the creator really want Scotty brought back to life? He's, uh, kind of imperfect. Just fix him, says Kirk, which Nomad does. Kirk has Nomad taken to security, telling Nomad that it's actually some sort of observation something or other. Spock likens Nomad to a life form and says he would really like to study it, though Kirk says Nomad's a killer and he intends to render it harmless. But Spock can do a little studying. Well, he could if he could get past its screens. Kirk, the creator, orders Nomad to lower its screens, which it does. And that does no good for Spock. He's going to have to pull a Vulcan mind probe. Risky, but he's got to check it out. Nomad was hit and damaged, we learn. So was the other, Tan Ru, an alien probe of great power. It was supposed to sterilize soil samples, not people. They get together, though, and become one. That saves Nomad, though it also warps his thinking, giving it the sterilize imperfections imperative. Kirk likens the new Nomad to a changeling, assuming the identity of what had been there before. Hello, non-sequitur, how you been? Nomad, meanwhile, decides it's time to leave his cell. Security tries to stop him and is vaporized by Nomad. Nomad goes to engineering and starts looking around. Wow, this place is inefficient. He sets about repairing it, which gives the Enterprise more power than it can handle. It'll break up if it keeps up at these speeds. Kirk orders Nomad to knock it off, which Nomad does. Spock brings news of the apparent death of the two security guys, which angers Kirk. Nomad explains that those biological units were imperfect. Hey, I'm a biological unit, says Kirk. Which he probably shouldn't have pointed out. Nomad is less interested in following orders now. There is much to reevaluate before reaching the launch point. That's right, Nomad wants to go home to Earth, where he will likely find a planet full of imperfections just waiting to be sterilized. Act 4. Roaming the ship, Nomad kills a couple more security guys and begins taking over the Enterprise. And he's totally ignoring Kirk. Kids. Also, Nomad is shutting down life support on the Enterprise. Kirk orders Nomad to turn it back on, but Nomad thinks not. Yes, the life forms on the Enterprise will be destroyed, but let them. They are imperfect. The Enterprise will be fine. It's imperfect too, but it can be fixed. Time now for a little mental jujitsu. Hey, Nomad, you were built by imperfection. So how can you be perfect? Everything that is an error must be sterilized, but you thought I was your creator. I'm not. Ha ha, you made a mistake. That makes you imperfect. Now stand back and watch Nomad destroy itself in a logic loop. Actually, beam it off the ship and watch it destroy itself in the logic loop, since when it blows, boom. Kind of bums Spock out to have to destroy an intellect like Nomad, though Kirk makes a joke of the whole thing. The end. Ken, I I ask you very seriously. Yeah. If someone asks if you're a god, what do you say? You say yes. There are two things Ghostbusters taught us. Yeah, that. someone asks a god, you say yes, and these yeah. stairs go up. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I that little moment where Kirk kind of hesitated, but Spock jumped in. Oh yes, yes, he's the creator. <laughs> Absolutely, you got Spock. the creator right here. He's building stuff all the time. Please, right. he's totally the creator. <laughs> uh, you know what I found most amusing? Well, actually, there were a few things that I found amusing in this episode, but 
I was really mm-hmm. amused that um, Kirk actually says, you know, he's worried about Nomad going back to Earth mm-hmm. uh, because he's afraid that Nomad will carry out its prime directive, mm-hmm. which is weird because nobody pays attention to the prime directive, <laughs> at least so far <laughs> in Star Trek. So, right. you know, why right. Nomad would be any different? Maybe it's because he's a machine or yeah. it's a machine. It's a Nomad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, I, I also like how it, it, you saw this in 60s TV all the time, but anytime you have to show somebody mm-hmm. to, you know, they, they bring up on a view screen or whatever, they have to show the person, they always have a headshot. You know, you left this out of the trivia. Yeah, you're talking about um, Roy Kirk. Right. The, uh, right. the guy who actually built Nomad. So we bring him up on the viewer. Yeah, you left this yeah. out, though. That was, according to something I read somewhere, and I wish I could mm-hmm. cite the source, that was the director of the episode. I believe you're right. I yeah. You're, and he's wearing uh, Scotty's dress uniform. That's kind of weird. Because it's, yeah. it, it's the early 2000s was, was when. Right. But he's Think, wearing, he was a forward thinker. Yeah. That things, might, yeah, right. might have been part of the erratic thinking. He may have been like, I'm going to build a thinking machine. And also, we are all going to wear the coolest uniforms <laughs> in the future. I'm going to go ahead and wear mine now. Right, right. Although, let's, let's be honest. We've both been to Vegas. I mean, yeah. we're, we kind of do that. We're in it now. Yeah, yeah we kind of do that now. That but I'm really glad it. to see that in the future, we won't all just have uh, you know, Facebook photos that represent us. So if somebody looks up a historical record about me, it'll be a nice looking headshot, preferably in a really flashy red uniform. It won't be a, uh, just a Facebook, you know, self portrait in the bathroom mirror. We should probably go ahead and take those. (laughs) Right. Let's do that now. Because you're right. You're absolutely right. I have a friend, just, just a, you know, just a lovely young lady. I mean, really just, just easy on the eyes. Most Mm. of the pictures of her are, are obviously in the bathroom mirror. Yeah. <laughs> kind of kills it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Um, I, we're going to get into the, uh, the Uhura thing a little later. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Let's I, not, let's not do that now. At okay. All. I, I'm just saying she has a remarkable recovery. Yeah. Yeah. No, let's leave that whole thing. Yeah. All yeah. right. Let's talk about Scotty. Let's talk about, okay, let's, uh, do it. let's talk about the galaxy's whipping boy, at least for the first. Oh my gosh. He got thrown around so much by Apollo. He did. He did. You think he learned his lesson. Nope. No. Well, no, he's he's actually, I, I, and I wonder about this, and you may mm-hmm. know, well, you would know more about this. If you know anything about this, you will know more about it than I do. Was right. there some sort of like, eh, Scotty did a lot of standing around the first season, you know? He did a lot of yes man kind of stuff. He did a lot of answering questions. This is two episodes in a row where we've seen him be very... Um, Oh, action, action oriented. Well, not only action oriented, but also uh, sort of like Sulu was, you know, with the uh, uh, stand back fair maiden, you know, kind of thing. I mean, impugning, mm, right. impugning a woman's character yeah. is enough to send Montgomery Scott hurling at you. Now, the good news is you will be able to send Montgomery Scott hurling. Right. Apparently, because if he's yeah. coming at you, you probably got the power to throw him across the room, as Apollo did, uh, as you mentioned uh, last week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, how it is that Nomad is able to do it, I don't know. But, yeah, it just sends him flying. It was, uh, again, stepping out of the timeline, it was sort of a Tasha Yar moment. Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, you know, everything's fine, and then he's flying, and then he's dead. (laughs) The difference is I wasn't worried at all because I've seen enough movies to know that Scotty's going to live, unlike unlike when Tasha died. Yeah. If only they could keep Scotty away from the ladies, he would stop getting himself into a position where he gets thrown across the room. God bless him, though, for jumping back up and doing it again. Yeah, right. And there wasn't right. even a moment of like, wow, last time I did this, I got thrown around like a 
like a bag of things that get thrown around. (laughs) (laughs) Straight Um, back on that horse. Hey, uh, you mentioned something that we've seen before. Kirk using his word jujitsu to totally disable a computer. Yep. Um, and, and you'd think, and, and Kirk calls him out on it, uh, but Spock should have figured out that logical loophole way earlier on. Um, well, especially because we've seen him use it against Landru and we've seen him use it against Dr. Roger Corby. Right. I mean, this exactly. has happened. This has happened before. Yeah. Um, a dazzling display of logic, according to Spock. But but I have this fear. Okay, so the same way that I'm thinking about the future and I think about how we need to plan now that we all have good headshots so that 300 years from now people will be able to, you know, see what what we would like to be represented as. My other fear is this. All right, in Star Trek, Kirk very easily can talk down a computer and make it blow itself up. Yep. Which is really cool. Do you remember uh, back in the 80s we had that computer program called ELIZA? Which was the virtual um, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist? I do not. All right. So the idea was that somebody had programmed this thing where you could sit down in front of a computer and type in messages like, uh, uh, Eliza, I'm not feeling well. And then Eliza would reply back to you like, why are you not feeling well? Tell me about it. And and you would sit there and type away. And it was just all this pre-programmed stuff, but it would keep talking back to you. And you could do that for hours and hours and hours. And Eliza would not budge. So if we could do that in the 80s, I have this worry that we are never going to be able to talk a computer into blowing itself up. You know what is really funny? When the carbon-based life forms with whom you work joke about making computers blow themselves up. No really. It is funny. My virtual sides are virtually splitting. Sorry John, I was just finishing burning my bra. Oh no! Um, no it's uh, forgive me. You see, that's probably a sexist thing right there. I'm not. I'm not blameless, but for some reason, the, the, the sexist thing always pops up for me on Star Trek. I don't know why that is. Uh, we can talk really quickly. You said, I think in the in the in the first segment that we're probably going to be referring to Nomad as male. Uh, there are a couple of reasons to do that. For me personally, I think of the Alfred Bester novel, The Stars My Destination, wherein uh, Gully Foyle was named uh, Nomad by some people that you know, he came across or that, or that came across him mm-hmm. someplace. So there's one reason to do that. Uh, great novel, by the way, if you haven't read it. It's also got some serious sexism issues, but there's some really fascinating things in there. Go read it and you'll probably be happy. Um, the second reason that we could do that is because he has a male voice. But the third is... right. <laughs> Women, huh? Yeah. Am I right, carbon-based life forms? Um, (laughs) So he comes across Uhura, right, after the whole, you know, she's singing. Right. Maybe she wants to cut that out, by the way. Because when she sings, bad things happen. Unless she's, like, performing. Because remember that time she was singing for Riley? And and somebody uh, poisoned him? Right, and she sang for Charlie Evans, and uh, that didn't go too well. That that didn't go too well, that's true. And now, you know, she's singing, and that's going to get her mind erased. How that happened is Nomad comes up, and and he says, you know, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm singing. I I felt like music. And he doesn't get that, so he goes to probe her her mind and erases it. Now, whether he intended to erase it or not, I don't know. Uh, But he does say of Uhura, that unit is defective. Its thinking is chaotic. Absorbing it unsettled me. Mm-hmm. To which Spock replies, that unit is a woman. 
and nomad replies, a mass of conflicting impulses. Now, it sounds sexist. The one thing I, I might be able to let the whole thing off the hook because I don't know if Spock is you know, saying that that unit is a woman as opposed to that unit is human. But we've seen Spock be sexist in the past. I mean, like things like this side of paradise when he's like, why can't women just answer a question? You know, or when he got all upset about the time the computer was turned into a uh, – it was given a female personality. I don't know. It it it, it sat weird. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to let them off the hook on this one for okay, good. another reason, which is that we already had Nomad take a shot at um, McCoy, at, at McCoy's erratic behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and Kirk just says, oh, that's McCoy. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. that, but, but talk to him anyway. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and here we have Spock saying, that's a woman. That's a woman. Uh, not, uh. Yeah, yeah. Not, not saying, well, that it, either that's a human. Humans are full of erratic impulses or full of conflicting impulses. Right. Or that's Uhura and, you know, that is Uhura's nature or whatever, which it doesn't seem to be. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I'm not going to let them off the hook. Good. All right. Good. So yeah. I wasn't wrong about that. So, so, no, so, I don't think so at all. Nomad yeah. says, uh, that confused me. And, and Spock's mm. like, dames, huh, Nomad? Okay. <laughs> right, right. The other thing I'll say really quickly that's kind of odd, I just just keeping with the whole Uhura having her mind erased thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it that you know this blank slate can speak Swahili? Yeah, but I, not English. I mean, okay, she starts yeah. off and she's like, told, I mean, there's no there there, you know. Right. right. But then she's learning how to read. Um, the dog has a ball, I believe, was the sentence that got her uh, stymied at this one point. Right. So uh, she like while Nurse Chapel. A, multi- a fabulous wig. A multifaceted woman, by the way. While she's re-educating Uhura, um, Uhura gets frustrated sounding out the English sentence, the dog has a ball, but she starts complaining in fluent Swahili. Right. And the white blonde woman <laughs> says, no, 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 English, none of your silly talk. I mean, she doesn't actually say that. What she says is, no, 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 not in Swahili, in English. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She speaks Swahili. She speaks fluent Swahili. <laughs> right. Are we re-educating right. her? Like, okay, well, she's like an amorphous blob, and we're going to bring her back to thinking, <laughs> mm. or, or are we sort of imperialistically saying, yeah, 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 it's cute that you can make your funny little noises, but come on, a dog has a ball. Right. There is something that that again, and uh, yeah, well, this is looking for issues. Well, that, that, that whole thing could have been fixed with one line because, it, again, you, you start out with the premise that she is totally wiped clean. There is nothing there yep. at all. Yep. And by the end of it, uh, McCoy says, well, you know, in another week she'll be fine. Yep. So she has remarkable learning. Once we wipe all that Swahili out of her memory. <laughs> right, right. But it, it all could have been fixed with one line, which is to say that, you know, Nomad – scrambled her brain or temporarily wiped her out or would he just have to go back in and sort of make the connections we have yeah. to you know re-educate her and, a bit and maybe yeah. that's what we're supposed to do ourselves mm-hmm. but yeah yeah <laughs> right i didn't it didn't it didn't go so well it's it, it it's also that 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 thing is is kind of interesting because they're like okay well she's a blank slate and then uh, Kirk says, well, we'll have to re-educate her. And Bones is all excited. He's like, yeah, I can do that. 
and mm-hmm. then he seems to go mm-hmm. back and forth throughout the episode like eh, i don't know if it's gonna work and then he's like oh yeah it's totally gonna work yeah <laughs> <It was laughs> right i don't know that was kind of i assume that they had a way that they were going to do that it turns out the way that they're going to do that is uh, get nurse chapel by the way quick aside yeah. she uh you know um nurse first of yeah. all uh, right fine vulcan chef yes Re-educator right. of the, you know, completely mind erased. I'm thinking mm-hmm. in a more in a more enlightened time, she might have made a a, a great first officer. Oh, that's crazy! Talk. <laughs> you mean you mean the first officer, like the number one officer? I on know, board, uh... I know. Well, maybe someday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, there are other things that uh, that I liked about this. Uh, well, first of all, it, you know, I think that uh, we've back across... up. You didn't like any of that. No, <laughs> I didn't. No, okay, no, I didn't like that. But it was an interesting point of conversation. Right, okay, it was good. a very Thank interesting you. point of conversation. I love the sexism in Star Trek so much, no, and the white no. imperialism too. <laughs> um, <laughs> other interesting points in the show. Yes, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, Go Ken. Ahead. Well, you know, uh, unlike our t-shirts uh, that we have now we come across uh, a being here that is decidedly not a carbon chauvinist i think nomad is definitely not cursed with being a carbon chauvinist yeah i've uh, actually i've actually talked to um rod the bringer mm-hmm. of the shirts about mm-hmm. needing some sort of silicon supporter shirt <laughs> because while i do have the carbon chauvinist shirt yeah i have a hard time wearing it because Aww. i'm not i'm not that guy I mean, as, uh-huh. I, as I think I've mentioned here before, but I'll go ahead and say it again. Um, I don't like using the term artificial intelligence because if we eventually get to that, it's going it, to be intelligence. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, except I think it will be. I think people will call it that. And, you know, I totally, you know, get novels like uh, Robert J. Sawyer's Mind Scan or, you know, other ones mm. where, where an intelligence that's not in a, a human brain that, you know, we can look at and poke at, you know, and say, look, that's human brain shaped. Mm-hmm. I think intelligence that's not completely organic is going to freak people out. And I think they'll use terms like artificial intelligence and probably we should go ahead and, and practice not doing that. Yeah. So, yes, uh, uh, Nomad is decidedly not carbon chauvinist. Now, understand, I'm not looking forward to something like Nomad, but no. it is kind of interesting to me that Roy Kirk, he again is Roger Corby in some ways. Um what is, what, is, his, what does Spock call him? Calls him uh, quite possibly the most ingenious and most erratic scientist of his time. Mm-hmm. And what was his crazy idea? His crazy idea was a thinking machine. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes him quite possibly the most erratic scientist of his time. By the way, I thought he said erotic the first time. It was <laughs> no, no, he didn't. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> oh, erratic. Well, that's not yeah. nearly as interesting, is it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, I mean, so, so yeah, we definitely have somebody here who is not carbon chauvinist. Quite the contrary. I would say he's more um, silicon supremacist, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. also wrong, by the way. Don't be carbon chauvinist. Don't be silicon, you know, uh, supremacist. Why can't we all get along, I think would be the best way to put it. It's not so much that he hates carbon-based life forms. They're just inherently flawed in his estimation. Well, he, he's a victim of his programming. And, and to me, there's kind of an interesting... Um, anthropological message implied by Nomad that, you know, he measures perfection only by the species that resemble him, by by their makeup, by their behavior, uh, all of that. Well, I mean, he's lousy with wetware, 
right? Yeah, he's not going to be so good with that. He, he's terrible <laughs> at that. I mean, like, he, yeah. he wipes out Uhura's brain yeah. and can't fix it. He kills Scotty and can fix that because that's just a structural issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, something more than that. Yeah, there's, I mean, uh, Nomad's thinking is flawed, which <laughs> I think, you know, he killed four billion people. So right. we yeah. can probably all agree that Nomad's uh, flog- logic is flawed. But yeah. um, the levels of imperfection with which he's willing to work are kind of interesting to me. People are imperfect, so they have to be destroyed. Uh, the Enterprise is imperfect, but that he can fix. Well, because the Enterprise is like him. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's it. Or, or or because he can see the solution. I mean, it actually kind of mm-hmm. – well, I mean, if you want to bring it back to early 21st century thinking, there, there are some things – there are some people – there are some ideas – I'm going to come off sounding left-leaning, and that's probably mostly because I tend to be. There are – I mean, you know, there are some people who say, hey, you know what we need is alternative energy. And there are other people who say, no, you know what we need? We need to get to, you know, the oil that's that's trapped under that caribou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. And it's not and I'm not I understand the need for both. I mean, we we right now as as we're recording this live in a world that is totally dependent on fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. There are some people who don't even want to think about, you know, uh wind and solar and nuclear and other things that, you know, that that seem sort of pie in the sky because they seem sort of pie in the sky. We we can't yet achieve the kind of energy levels that we're getting from fossil fuels right now. And so they want to just, you know, no more fossil fuels, more fossil fuels and screw your wind. I don't need it. You know, right. There, there, there seems to sort of be something that I, I in my head is making that same sort of connection with Nomad. He understands, you know, physical. And so that he's willing to work with. But people, the, the, the mental imperfections in people, ah, I don't get that. Let's just get rid of them. I got my <laughs> machines. What's you know what? What? I've got I've got this. This will be fine. I don't need you. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. if that's actually a real – I'm not sure if that link makes sense, but in my head it makes sense. So hopefully you know, if you're in my head, it makes sense to you too. I, well, yeah, that's, that's a weird place to be. But I, I'll, uh, I'll go along with you in, in the respect that – just kind of uh, taking the macro view here again. The, the thing that, that I liked here is that uh, if there's a message to be gleaned from this, that – you know, Nomad kind of represents this idea that we see a lot of in Star Trek, that there is not necessarily such thing as perfection because there's no definitive place from which we can judge. You know, I, I, Star Trek is, has very often shown us this celebration of duality, the celebration of, of flaws and imperfections that makes complete. Um, and I'm struggling for the words here. It's almost like we're stronger through diversity and maybe maybe one day there will be some sort of very clever star trekian <laughs> acronym that will uh that that will summarize my thoughts about diversity um in maybe an infinite scale all right hopefully we'll get there <laughs> as long as it doesn't involve uh you know silicon based beings well i i, I th- yeah because there was no there was no talking to Nomad either. I mean, that's the thing. We can we can fault Nomad's logic and say, oh, it was wrong. They wanted to kill all the people. But you know, when Spock says, "Boy, yeah, yeah Nomad's kind of interesting. I really wish I could study him." Kirk's like, "Yeah, he's gonna die." Yeah, yeah I mean, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. say he has to die. He says, you know, he has to be made to um, and not be harmful to them. But I mean, he's got such incredible power such a ridiculous amount of power that there's no way that they're going to be able to make him uh, harmless unless they, you know, take him out. 
Well, well, they're, they're stuck in a position of self-preservation. They, they have to. I mean, it is sad that Kirk keeps taking away Spock's toys. He's going <laughs> to take away the Landrew computer. Yeah. He's going to take away Nomad. You know, yeah. Spock's is going to have to go build his own super intelligent computer. Yeah. And, uh, and talk to it. Uh, Spock's a little more malevolent, so he probably won't build one that could actually destroy an entire planetary system. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Nomad, maybe if you had more time, maybe if you had more than 48 mm-hmm. minutes in an episode, you might be able to talk it through. I think it's wrong that Nomad just looked at people and said, well, no, they've got to die. I also think it's, you know, a little short-sighted that Kirk just looked at Nomad and said, well, no, that's got to die. I mean, you know, it is a well, programmable, it is a programmable entity. So when Kirk broke out with the word jujitsu, the logic jujitsu, though, I, I don't think he necessarily knew that Nomad was going to blow up. I mean, they could have had another outcome where they just shut him down, they take him apart, they see what makes him tick. No, no. Kirk knew that he was going to explode because he asked uh, Spock and Scotty to bring the anti-grav whatevers. Yeah, well, the, thing, the things to carry it. Yeah, yeah. You think he was well, just afraid it was going to fall of- on the ground? Exactly. <laughs> they might have fallen and left a dent in the uh, deck later. Right. Yeah. I don't want to hurt Nomad. Well, (laughs) bring something to carry him just in case he falls apart and we have to, you know, send him out to the side of the ship to blow up. Oh, the laughter continues. I don't want to take too long here. There may be some more hilarity about the destruction of silicon-based intelligence. Comes the time every week where we answer some questions, or ask each other questions and maybe answer them, about the uh, particular episode. This week, the changeling. What's the message in this week's episode, John? You know, we say so often that there's not a you see Timmy moment in a lot of these episodes. I yeah. don't think there is here. Uh, but I will kind of make uh, a general point. Though. Okay. And, and that is that uh, I, I touched on it in our discussion. Um, I, I think that Star Trek is really good, at least in what we've seen so far. It's really good at celebrating human imperfection. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we've done that here. We hold ourselves up to this seemingly perfect device or perfect intelligence, or at least one that thinks it is perfect. And uh, and Kirk, as he does so well so often, kind of makes a case for what's so great about all of our otherwise flaws. You know, what, what's so great about um, uh, the, the the whimsical or chaotic parts of our nature, like Uhura singing, mm-hmm. you know, or Bones's uh, irascible personality. So, uh, so I like that. I'll take that out of it. I might have to argue with you a tiny bit. I don't feel like Kirk actually makes that case. I, I feel more like it's just kind of assumed mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Kirk and by Kirk's actions. So it feels like if, if you are, as we do, because of what we do here, looking Mm -hmm. for a good message or looking for a message period you might take that message out of it you might say okay well this is kind of a celebration of you know human beings warts and all because you know he -hmm. goes ahead and sticks with the the imperfection that is us he never makes that case though it's more like 
I mean, you could just as easily say he's an old man who doesn't like, you know, ah, you kids today with your clothes and your hair, you know, and I mean, your, he's your cell phones. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, he's he's yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's sort of just now, granted, understandably, I mean, we want him to do this because it is, as you say, part of self-preservation. This thing is going to go to Earth and is going to wipe everybody on Earth out and probably wipe everybody out on the way to Earth as well. And then once he's done mm-hmm. there, he may go other places and wipe them out, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you kind of want Kirk to be that guy. I don't feel like the case was really made, though. Well, now, there's not the big Kirk speech moment, yeah. which, uh, which this could have used. But but throughout it, all these little points of Kirk kind of you know defending McCoy or you know it, it, defending the things that make us human. They're, they're small. They're not the big Kirk speech that we all know and love. Right. Um, but I, I feel like there are nuggets of it in there. Well, I mean, there there are pieces of it. I mean, the, the thing mm-hmm. that what's weird is we've seen this episode before, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and I know we, we talked about them a moment ago. I cannot remember the name of the episode. I'm so bad at this. I know that the one with Dr. Roger Corby is What Are Little Girls Made Of? What's the name of the episode with Landrew? Uh, Return of the Archons. Return of the Archons. Thank you very yep. much. We've seen this episode before in Return mm-hmm. of the Archons. We've seen this episode before in uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Or at least pieces and parts of it. Right, in both right. of those, we got the speech. Yeah. In both of those, we got the here's what's great about being carbon based, you know, yeah. <laughs> and and we don't get that speech here. It's it's like it's just assumed at this point. And so well, what, I, I think Kirk figures that everybody's heard that speech by now. <laughs> <laughs> so why are we watching the episode again? I mean, that's the weird thing about it. It's really not until it seems to me and I may be forgetting an episode because I do all the time, you know. Uh, between now and the motion picture. But is the motion picture the first time that we come across this hyperintelligence kind of like, you know, machine thinking where we're like, whoa, this is dangerous. Let's figure out how to work with it. Right. Because, right. I mean, I, I was thinking that's a very different Kirk. Uh, it's a it's a very, very lucky thing that uh, Kirk never met Data. Because yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have had Data. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, okay, but, but Data is a benevolent machine. Is, is, so is that what makes it okay? Because Dr. Roger Corby was a benevolent machine too. Oh, well, okay. Turns Point out his taken. logic his logic was flawed, yeah. but he was trying to do good. Yeah, but, but uh, Roger Corby was also forcing people into the spinny device to turn them into androids. Well, his logic was flawed. I, yeah. I, I think I mentioned yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> So there's that. Yeah, there is you that. Know. That's true. Um, so, no, I mean, I, it, it, again, it, yeah, had this episode gone even a slightly different way, Nomad didn't necessarily have to blow up at the end. But yeah. if there's one thing we like at the end of our shows, it's explosions. <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to have seen, I would like to have seen some sort of, you know, we're going to talk. I would like to have seen some sort of ongoing dialogue. Because by the time you get – when he starts pulling the word jujitsu, I, w- mm-hmm. I was really disappointed because, I mean, like in my head, my thought was, seen it. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. we have. I mean, we've seen the exact this exact – although maybe a little bit more goading. It was really kind of bad, you know. And I know, I know right. why he's doing it. It's because he wants to keep him in the logic loop. But it's really yeah. bad when like um, – when Nomad is, is really just about to blow and they are mm-hmm. putting him – on the transporter to send him off into space where he will blow up. And just before he goes, Kurt's like, you're imperfect. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he throws in that last little jab. Right, yeah. which it's not the last that little is. jab. I know it's to keep him in the loop, but I mean, it yeah, seriously, yeah. it becomes very, uh, it, well, it, is, it is very carbon chauvinist. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I might be tempted to say the message up to this point seems to be uh, you can't recreate um, intelligence and so you shouldn't try. It's the whole Frankenstein thing. Oh, this is just this is going to end in tragedy. No, 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 no. Carbon based life forms. That's that's the only way to go. Carbon based thinking. That's the only way to be to this point. Now, do I well, think that they would have said, oh, that's definitely a tenet of Star Trek? No, I don't think anybody would have said that's definitely a tenet of Star Trek, but mm-hmm. it, it just happens to be at least up to this point. Now, we do know that that's going to change. Sure, sure. Although it's but, still going to be fraught I, with peril. Yeah, but, but I, I'll take what you're saying uh, uh, kind of a step further and say that you know this idea of perfection um, is untenable, unreachable, because the, there isn't truly an objective standard of what is perfection. Um, yeah, but the only thing that thought it was perfect, the only thing that thought Nomad was perfect was Nomad. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe what you're actually looking at is an indictment of thinking that you know what's right to mm-hmm. the exclusion of all other thought. The only problem is you can't really say that that's a treatment in this because Kirk thinks that he knows what's right to the exclusion of right. all other thought. He never right. takes a moment to say, hey, maybe this nomad is something we could talk to. In fact, he only talks to nomad when they run out of ammo. <laughs> <laughs> when they, well, not when they run out of ammo, but when, when they can't take another hit. So nomad attacks them. They yeah. fire back. Nomad attacks them again. They can't take another hit. So now Kirk thinks, I'm going to try to talk to whatever's out there. It's true, but okay, but to his credit, they, they do end up doing the mind meld a little later. Yeah, I realize it's all later, later, later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but they, they do try all of these various ways to communicate. Um, you know, and again, it, it's, a little, uh, it's a little unfair to step out of the timeline like that. But by the time we get to the motion picture, that whole dynamic has changed a bit. Yeah. You know, and what, what Kirk's decisions are about how to handle it. So it almost sounds like we're going to say this episode does not hold up. It almost sounds like I would say you can watch – I would say What Are Little Girls Made Of more than Return of the Archons. But it almost sounds like we could say you could watch What Are Little Girls Made Of and you could watch the motion picture and you've got got this episode. Mm -hmm. I was disappointed by the end and yet for some reason this, this episode was not terrible to me. I mean, it wouldn't be one of my favorites, but I'm curious what your answer is. Does this episode hold up? Um, I actually think it does. Yeah. Yeah, Weird, Um, right? Because it is weird. We've done it before. We've seen it before. We're going to see it again. And yet there's something about this episode that, that there's something about this episode that's compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like. Kirk's frustration with the thing. Yeah. I really like uh, all the points that they try to outsmart Nomad and can't until the very end. Um, you know, if you go back and you read the uh, the original treatment that we're going to have posted, yeah. um, it, the pacing is so very different. And we don't actually get Nomad on board the Enterprise until a lot later. And we don't have this back and forth until much, much later. So the, the pacing is just all awful. But I feel like in the aired version, what we have here, the pacing is great. And I like kind of not knowing how Nomad is going to react to things. And I like that um, uh, that kind of struggling and outwitting that Kirk and Spock have to keep reinventing <laughs> to get past Nomad, to keep him from just killing all of them right away. Um, I like the look of it. 
you know, it's it's a little sure it's a little dated, but so what? I, I think Nomad is kind of cool looking in its simplicity, and uh, I like the voice. And let's face it, when Nomad is finally about to destroy itself, the uh, the high pitched Nomad voice is kind of adorable. <laughs> God, you have to admit, I want that as a ringtone now. You liked the Ewoks, didn't you? No, 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 no. I'll you, take a self-destructing nomad over an Ewok any day. I, I will say, you say <laughs> that, you know, it, it it looks a little dated. It was actually supposed to be a satellite from about right now. So well, the dated actually sure. works because, I mean, satellites right now aren't terribly sexy. I mean, they're, they're sort of utilitarian machines. Well, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that the look of nomad looks... It still looks like a piece of future technology as designed by Star Trek: The Original Series. Yeah, you know, but that, it, it doesn't that, look like a, it doesn't look like a satellite from the '60s, and it certainly doesn't look like a satellite from now. But but that's okay. Like I said, I think it's still kind of a cool design in a kind of retro future sort of way. So let me let me see if I can sum this up. Then mm-hmm. uh, the messages may or may not hold up. Right. We've seen the whole thing before. Yep. The production looks a tiny bit dated. Yep. This episode works. Yeah, it's cool. That makes <laughs> it that, just is. That makes no sense at all. Anyway, that's that's our take on it, but we are of course curious to hear what your take on it would be as well. We would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, on Skype, or on Twitter, all of those with the handle Mission Log Pod. Or you can call us three two three five two two five six four one. That number again is 323-522-5641, as they might be giants say, free when you call from work. You can email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com, and don't forget to check out our super cool website, missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Ken, if Star Trek has taught me anything, it's that people look really, really cool with goatees. So next week... We're going to put that to the test with Mirror, Mirror. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. A computerized mechanism that goes crazy and kills everyone in its way. We've all had those days. Am I right? You know what I'm talking about. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 